The first reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, uh, and it can be found on 1,161 in our church Bibles. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary inward troubles, sorry, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. This is the word of the Lord. And on this morning, I'm going to be looking at the first passage we heard read, Paul's letter to, his second letter to the church in Corinth. But let's just pray before I begin. Dear Lord, I pray that you would come by your spirit that you would help me to speak and you would give us all ears to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul's letter and particularly this passage, which we're looking at this letter over over a few weeks um, as we go through it, but this passage, it's it's a bit of a good news, bad news story. And um, I'm going to read, it's summarized like this. I'm going to read it, you'll see why, because I'll never be able to remember it. The bad news is, the good news is not necessarily good news, but can be bad news. But the good news is that bad news is not necessarily bad news, but can be good news. And the good news of the gospel is that bad news, such as someone dying on a cross, can be incredibly good news, especially when it's followed by the good news that Jesus rose again from the dead, proving that good news trumps bad news. And the good news is that if we believe this good news, then after the bad news of our own demise, we'll have even better news, which means that from now on there is no more bad news, but only good news. And this is such good news because it helps us deal with any bad news we have now. And that, in a nutshell, is what Paul is explaining in this extract from his letter to the church in Corinth. The fact is that in our lives, whether we're Christians or not, we have to deal with hardship, with crises, with huge challenges sometime. And our faith is no ticket to a trouble-free life. Christians are not shielded from hardship. 
In life, things happen that are beyond our control. Sometimes at work, a new boss arrives, and it seems that they take a dislike to us. Or we discover that we, or perhaps a child, or perhaps another family member, has a serious illness. A friend of ours, their beautiful 16-year-old daughter, Lucia, is currently in a hospice, dying of cancer. She's on our prayer list. Or perhaps we have bouts of depression or mental illness. Or we lose a loved one. There are several people in our fellowship at the moment grieving the loss of a loved one. And sometimes we wonder, where is God in this? Is he punishing me? Is he even listening to me? Does he see me? Does he even care? But if Christians today are not shielded from bad news, neither was Paul the Apostle. In fact, in this letter, more than any other letter in the New Testament, it reveals a vulnerable, wounded apostle who had stared death in the face on more than one occasion, had undergone terrifying ordeals of both physical and emotional suffering, and yet could write extraordinary letters of encouragement to his Christian brothers and sisters. And what Paul reveals in his attitude to dealing with severe difficulties is eye-opening and, I believe, life-changing for us if we can get to grips with what he's saying. So let's look at the text and learn from the expert. So I'm going to pull out of this passage seven aspects of hardship that Paul identifies. So if you've got your Bibles open at 1161 or you're looking at your, uh, the passage in your service sheet, um, by way of introduction though, before we go to that passage, um, earlier on in this letter, Paul speaks of the suffering that he had gone through on his journey through Asia. And in fact, it sounds as if he'd been close to a nervous breakdown. The New Living Translation puts it like this. Paul says, we were crushed and we were completely overwhelmed and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Paul had stared into the abyss and didn't mind admitting it. One of his problems at the time that he wrote this letter was that many people were challenging his leadership and had been using all of the bad things that had happened to him against him, if you like, as proof against him. Because in the ancient world, illness and suffering and hardship were often regarded as a sign of God's punishment. Whatever Paul had gone through, his enemies and his detractors were likely laying the blame squarely on him. And he'd been through a lot of hardship. Later on in the letter, in chapter 11, he describes extraordinary events. He he says that he received from the Jews, that's his own countrymen, he received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one on five different occasions. The standard public flogging, 39 lashings of a whip. Five times he'd been tied to a post in a public square and whipped 39 times. I'm old enough that when I was at boarding school, I got caned by the headmaster. Four strikes of a rather flimsy bamboo cane, and that hurt like anything. I cannot imagine what 39 lashes of a whip is like. 
Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Imagine that, floating for a night and a day. I've been constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, from bandits, from Jews, from Gentiles, from false believers. I went without sleep, without water, without food. I've been cold and naked. Paul had been through horrendous circumstances, and it was painful. And those who opposed Paul were using his suffering to question his authority under God. I'm just going to move this microphone down a bit. I think it's uh, causing a problem. Okay. Have you ever read the book of Job? Job's whole life fell apart. And what do his friends do? They tell him that it must be because of his sin. God is punishing him for his sin. And yet we find out in the end that they're wrong. But we can fall into that trap ourselves. We can see somebody and we can say, oh, so-and-so's life is a mess. They, they, they must bring it on themselves. We blame them. Or if it's, or if it's us who are in a mess, we blame ourselves or, we, or maybe we blame God. So how does Paul deal with this? In verse 10, he says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. In other words, this is normal for a Christian. Hardship is no stranger. In fact, Paul often refers to it more like a friend. He writes to the church in Rome, we rejoice in our sufferings. Peter writes to the churches, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings. And the apostles, Peter and John, who've been imprisoned in Acts, rejoice that they've been considered worthy of suffering. And so that's the starting point. That's the starting point. Hardship is painful, but it's normal. And so turning back to our passage this morning, Paul has some incredibly hard things to say. In verse 10, he says, we carry around in our body the death of Jesus. In verse 11, he says, we're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. In verse 12, he says, so death is at work in us. I mean, it doesn't sound like a great advertisement for the Christian faith, does it? That's what I love about Scripture, about the Bible. It's so obviously not made up. No one would dream up promoting a religion like this. You know, join our church today and carry death wherever you go. You could be permanently given over to death if you put your faith in Jesus. Become a Christian and let death work in you. It's so counterintuitive. No one could ever or would ever have invented this. It's quite extraordinary. And yet, and yet, hadn't Jesus said that if anybody wants to be his disciple, they must take up their cross and follow him, the cross that leads to death? Didn't Jesus promise that the road to the kingdom of God was marked by persecution and self-sacrifice? And yet Paul says in verse 10 and 11 that somehow when we suffer, when we go through hardship for the gospel, Jesus is revealed in us. That we carry around his death so that his life may also be revealed in our body. So how is Paul able to put such a a positive spin on his troubles. 
And the answer is faith in God, which is fueled by the power of the resurrection. Paul explains in verse 13, he quotes a psalm, uh, Psalm 116, or he quotes from the psalm. And uh, we haven't got time to turn there now, but maybe turn to it later. But it speaks straight into Paul's situation, if you read that psalm. It says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice, but, he goes on, the cords of death entangled me, the anguish of the grave overcame me. But it goes on, you, Lord, have delivered me from death. And it finishes with, praise the Lord. And so what the psalmist is expressing, Paul has experienced exactly that on his travels in Asia. Deliverance from what seemed like certain death. And of course, this is what God has done supremely in Jesus through his resurrection. In verse 13, Paul says that he has that same spirit of faith as the psalmist because... In verse 14, we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus. As Joe was saying earlier, keeping our eyes fixed on what is unseen, on what's ahead, on heaven. Paul's experience of intense suffering and hardship and coming through it hasn't damaged his faith. It has increased his faith in the power of resurrection. And the good news for us is that this is the shape of the gospel. This is the shape of Christian hope. Death followed by resurrection, whether during this life or as we move on into the next one. That's the shape of the gospel. And that's why ultimately all hardship is temporary. Now please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that many people don't suffer, sometimes for years and years with debilitating illnesses, which they may never be healed from in this life. We pray that they are, but they may not be. But resurrection means that ultimately healing will come to everyone. If we jump for a moment to the last verse of our reading, Paul writes, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in, in other words, our bodies... The earthly tent we live in is destroyed. We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. In other words, our new bodies, our resurrection bodies, which will never perish in the remade heaven and earth. Hardship may be very painful, but ultimately it's temporary. And the good news is that resurrection isn't something we have to wait for in the next life. Hardship followed by deliverance, death followed by resurrection, is the shape of life today. And when we're delivered by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus is revealed in us and we grow stronger. Verse 16 says, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we might be wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And he goes on with what is possibly one of the greatest understatements in the whole of the Bible. Paul says, for in our our light and momentary troubles. Isn't that great? What he's been through? Light and momentary troubles. They're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
And we hate being in the midst of hardship, but we know that we grow spiritually as we come through those times by keeping faith with God. I'm always amazed by a friend of ours, Mary Stevenson. I've mentioned her before. She was orphaned as a baby, and although she was placed in a well-to-do family, she went off the rails in her late teens and early 20s. When she was released from Holloway Prison after doing a stint there because she'd been stealing on a grand scale to feed her heroin habit, her life was a complete mess. Some of her friends tried to encourage her, but she just wanted to lose herself in a fog of drugs and alcohol. And to cut a long story short, eventually a Christian friend invited her to do an Alpha course. And although she struggled with it, over the weeks God got hold of her and she became a wonderful woman of faith. And she went out to South Africa. She co-founded a project helping victims of HIV AIDS in an area that had seen or had lost almost an entire generation of adults to the disease. And the project grew and it did amazing work saving lives, taking care of orphans, and attracted good funding, including from Comet Relief and all all over the place. But as it became more successful, there were disagreements about the vision and the direction of the project. And just like in the Church of Corinth that Paul is writing to, the project became split and divided at the most senior level, and Mary found herself criticised and undermined by one or two of the very people she had laboured with for so long. In the end, some left and Mary had to reorganise and she soon had a wonderful colleague and close friend in the form of a woman named Joy. And the project flourished again and Mary and Joy were an amazing team, did everything together and life was good again, death followed by resurrection. And then two and a half years ago, they were returning from a short break in Mozambique when just an hour from home, in the dark, a four-wheel drive came round a corner on the wrong side of the road and hit them head on. And both Joy, who was driving, and a child, an eight-year-old child in the back seat who was sitting next to Mary, were killed. And it's one thing to lay down your life, to go to a remote part of Africa, probably to give up any real chance of having your own family and children, and to expend yourself in the service of saving other lives. But to go through such hardship as well, to fall out with your best colleagues in a struggle to save the project and then to lose your closest friend in such a manner was almost too much for her. And yet the story doesn't finish there. Because through all that's happened since finding her faith, Mary has continued to read her Bible every night, to pray every day, to be a pastor to many who come to her for help and to keep her eyes, as Paul suggests, fixed not on what is seen but what is unseen. And when Joy died, Mary was severely tested. I really thought she'd throw in the towel and come back to the UK, but she didn't. Despite deep pain, she knew that resurrection always follows death. And knowing that Joy was already in a better place, she began to seek resurrection in her own life again. And even seeking the path of reconciliation with the colleague she'd fallen out with some years before. 
And you know, when resurrection follows death, and when light follows darkness, when God's power at work within us overcomes seemingly impossible situations, then Jesus is revealed. And as Paul says in verse 15, the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. The wonderful upside-down nature of the kingdom is that through faith in Jesus Christ, faith that is made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, hardship ends up being turned into glory. Glory for God. Well, Mary's story may seem a bit, well, not your everyday in Reading, but actually what Paul says applies to the mundane, to the everyday in our workplaces. I used to get a hard time from colleagues when I worked for a software company that I joined in Field, just up the road, and when they discovered I was a Christian. The fact that they swore and lied and backstabbed one another didn't matter at all. They used to watch me like a hawk, and even the hint of a white lie, and they'd be all over me, accusing me of being a hypocrite. And then one day... One of the programmers, a woman called Angie, got seriously ill, and she was on life support. And the prognosis wasn't good, and the average age in the office, apart from me, was about 27. And Angie was the only one with a young child, and the staff were immobilized by this. They couldn't handle it. They just didn't know what to do. Death wasn't something they'd ever contemplated. And here it was, staring them in the face. And so I called them all together in the middle of the office and I told them that I believe that God hears our prayers and that I'd like to pray for Angie. And so I prayed and then I said, okay, let's get back to work. And a huge relief spread through the office. They never poked fun at my faith again after that. And Angie got better And I think when we keep speaking out our faith in the face of hardship or ridicule or opposition, just as Paul says, God gets the glory. So when we run into bad news, as Christians with God's Holy Spirit in us, we have the possibility, the opportunity to turn it into good news. So hardship is painful, but it's normal. Through it, Jesus can be revealed. Faith in resurrection is the key in this life and the life to come. Because ultimately it is temporary. And we can grow stronger through it and even use it to bring glory to God. Amen.